Welcome to the Ocean Cruisers podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking with Josh from the Josh Post YouTube channel. Josh is currently in California working on the refit of his 1965 Chioli 36. We speak about his career prior to being a traveler, how he started sailing, and his experience refitting many of the boats he has had over the years, and the places he has visited with them including his most recent adventures on YouTube with his Beneteau First 38 in the Caribbean. We also talk about his activities on social media and how he funds his lifestyle. You can catch up with Josh's latest adventures around the Caribbean on his YouTube channel, Josh Post. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Enjoy! Hello viewers and listeners, this is Andy with the Ocean Cruisers podcast. So today we're going to have a chat with Josh from the Josh Post channel on YouTube. Josh is a solo sailor, uh, he's a traveller and a well-known vlogger on social media. He's a really interesting guy, he's got a really interesting background. He grew up in Middle America, joined the military, moved to Hollywood, done loads of different jobs, worked in a cemetery, uh, become a lawyer and he's now a full-time traveller. So we're going to have a talk about his boats, his recent travels around the Caribbean in his Beneteau First 38, which he's documented on YouTube for everybody to check out. Uh, we're also going to talk about a trip that he just did to Mexico, which uh, sounds pretty uh, dangerous. He bought a brand new $1,000 motorbike and decided to just drive up and down the country, so that's pretty exciting. And then he's also got on his channel coming up some refit videos for a Choi Lee, which he just purchased. I've seen the photos, it's a really beautiful boat. So I'll put a link to his channel in the description below. And for anybody who wants to learn how to solo sail, he's got a brilliant video on his channel. He's got millions of views, and it's basically a step-by-step -step guide on how to get a boat set up, leave the dock, and start sailing on your own. It's really straightforward and informative. The filming is great. He makes it really clear for beginners. And he's also got a bunch of videos on there about like the general challenges of solo sailing and how to deal with them. So if anybody wants to learn how to sail from fresh or wants to learn how to solo sail, they need a few tips, check out that video. It's a really good option if you've not got a sailing club nearby. Lessons are really expensive. You might not have that much cash at the moment. So check out that video. It's a really good way to start understanding the basics. Remember to like the video. If you're watching it on YouTube and you like it, subscribe if you want to get a notification when the next video is coming online. We're on all the podcast channels, so we're on the Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. We're also on Patreon, so if you want to join the community, you can become a part of the podcast themselves. Check that out. And Instagram is where we're going to be posting all the updates on which guests are coming up next, so follow us on there. So check out Josh's channel. It's really cool, and enjoy the chat. The, the caption on the video and the tag was like hitchhiking. Right. And I found it, 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 it was incredible how you just go to this island in the middle of the Caribbean, completely different culture, completely different way of life. And you're just like stood at the side of the road, flagging right. down a ride. And it's all good. You know, everyone's happy to do it. <laughs> it, was, it was just incredible. Um, was, oh, yeah. was that like the general feeling on those islands? People were just lovely. Uh, that particular island, uh, Long Island, yes. Uh, and that's funny because uh, I think it, this is kind of going to the, the, the more analytics of YouTube to, to give you some you know, diving in deep kind of thing. But that particular video, I put the title and I was like, oh, I wanted to have something that might be catchy. Everybody wants like a catchy, you know, thumbnail and title, right? And it ended up being one of my lowest performing videos, you know, like very low views and whatnot. Um, and so I was like, oh, maybe, maybe because I didn't have something about sailing in the title, the normal followers aren't watching it or whatever. 
so that was like you're always thinking that when you're making these videos you're right you're like oh how you know because you want to grow the the channel um you know so anyway but going back to the 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 people on the island yeah long island for one i didn't know how small and sort of uh, you know, not very many uh, people on the islands. A lot of these places, there's a couple of islands in the Bahamas that have people, uh, you know, the city of Nassau and, and, and uh, Georgetown, but even Georgetown, I thought, oh, it's going to be a little bit of a city. You know, you're going to have, like, there's like two, like, you know, like one shopping thing. that's like the size of a, you know, a little bit larger than like, I don't know if you have 7-Eleven over there, but you know, that kind of a convenience store. Uh, but then Long Island was even a step, you know, below that on the size uh, scale. So I think uh, even even in the video I mentioned it was like 98 people that lived in the little town that I was in, that I was anchored next to, and um, then I realized well it's called Long Island for a reason. It's like 80 miles long. Really long. There's no <laughs> Yeah, I had no. You know, you 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 know. Of course, I'm on a major tight budget, so there is a rental car place there on the island with like four cars. You know, <laughs> that I think people can can rent, but it was pretty high 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 dollar. So I'm like, well, and a few other sailors would told you know told me, oh, you can try to hitchhike. You know, a lot of people do it around here, so no problem. And there's only one road, so you're going to get to where you want to go eventually. So yeah, I just took my dinghy to the little dinghy dock, got out. Okay, I'm going to try to hitchhike. You know, so and I, I, you know, it's not like I'm a professional hitchhiker. I don't know if I'm supposed to stick my thumb out or just supposed to <laughs> wave. But I figured the universal thumb up thing, so I tried mm -hmm. that, and you know, uh, a couple of people ended up stopping. Uh, in that particular video, this one lady was like the nicest person, and it took me like a four or five hour tour, you know, uh, of the island. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe there's not many people on YouTube searching for like how to get somewhere for free on an island right. in the Caribbean by right. car. Just so. completely <laughs> random. Yeah, yeah, random. Was, yeah but yeah. It, was, it, was, it was really entertaining because, you know, it, it just goes to show, like I've, I've been to uh, Nassau, which is a very, you know, it's hustle and bustle. It's a big place. You've got massive right. hotels there, casinos, people right. from all over the country. It, it's so interesting how you can just sail, you know, like just a little bit. Oh yeah, a little bit further down, be, and it is totally different. It's so so different. right. Oh yeah, I, I would say well, being I've seen I don't know probably six or eight of the islands I've seen, and yeah, Nassau is like night and day anywhere. Nassau is not even on the same level as the Bahamas, you know, the other mm -hmm. islands. Because every other island, you have like one, you know, one whatever gas station and convenience store as far as the life on the island, uh, and the other, and it's just completely deserted as far as you get beaches that are completely you have on you know by yourself you can just walk around in a, in a completely desolate kind of deal but in a good way right so you have this privacy and you can just explore and and, and have that sort of full-on uh island adventure life you know going on it's pretty cool yeah it's the authentic experience and you right. know i mean like you you are a real traveler you know, the, the, you can get it from a YouTube channel, the way you want to explore, the way that you want to dive into new cultures and see more authentic right. things. Um, oh, yeah. Is that the type of thing that you enjoy? Like, do you like going to those places, dropping the anchor oh. and just chilling? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, for me, it's like the most kind of remote or extreme versions of something. And that's what I enjoy. And, you know, kind of give you the history of the YouTube channel thing. Uh, I set out really just to put some videos about my life. And I did do some traveling. I was like, oh, I'll put some travel videos. So I had some videos from like uh, Italy and uh, where else? When I, early on, Panama. It had nothing to do with sailing. And that was really how I started everything, just documenting that. And then everybody was like, oh, if you want to, you know, grow a following, you need to focus on one particular niche area. And so I started doing some sailing stuff, but I'm actually going to probably get back into more general traveling along with half of the stuff doing sailing. Uh, anyway, but my traveling, it's not maybe typical, you know, I'm not maybe going 
of the hot spots in maybe Europe or whatever. I prefer like going to Nicaragua or something, you know, just completely Guatemala. I went, you know, I went to this little um, uh, volcano in, in Guatemala a few years ago. And that's the kind of thing like completely foreign uh, culture and experience. Uh, that's sort of what I, what I love. Uh, and I think that's a common interest in a lot of travelers, but uh, that's what I, that's what I love. And I try to document that when I have the camera with me, you know? I think it's I think it's something that's just like within true travelers, because the, the way the world is now, you know, whether you're on like Nassau, for example, in the Caribbean, you could go to Madrid, you could go to Paris, you could go to, you know, somewhere in Asia and you have the same shops, you have the same coffee houses, you have the right. same malls, the same movie theaters. You're not really experiencing anything new. You have to do what you do to like immerse yourself in an authentic culture, which is probably right. the way. Those people have lived in that area for like hundreds of years, but the oh, city has just gone, you know, yeah. the Western way, I suppose, as well. Right, right, right. Uh, not to get sidetracked on the sailing stuff. I literally just got back a couple of weeks ago from the, a motorcycle trip uh, to Mexico. And my whole idea was, and it was, it's kind of related to the sailing thing because people were thinking, well, I can't do that. I don't have the money. And I, same, same as this motorcycle thing. I actually saw a couple of videos on YouTube that inspired me. This guy from the UK, uh, actually it's called C90 Adventures. It, you have to watch it, even though it's, it's not I'll a check it out. thing. Okay. Um, this guy makes probably 45 minute long videos and he's done all kinds of crazy motorcycle stuff. But the crazy thing, he has this little Honda C90, which is a tiny little motorcycle that has, I don't even know how many horsepower. I think it's less than 10 horsepower. And he takes off and he does one from Alaska to like, you know, Central America and all this stuff. So he just, you know, completely free, open travel kind of thing. And I got kind of inspired. Like, I want to do something like that, right? So I ended up buying a small motorcycle in Mexico uh, with a friend <laughs> with a friend of mine. It's a 200cc. And the, uh, uh, this goes into more of my kind of his long, you know, history. But I was uh, for a little bit living in Guanajuato, Mexico, which is right in the center of Mexico. And so I developed some friends there while I was living there. This was 10 years ago. So the guy that I was um, still friends with, I called him up. Hey, do you think if we buy some bikes, we can ride? And he's like, oh, there's a brand in Mexico. Everything you know, since in a lot of these countries, it's very common to have motorcycles. So uh, he suggests we buy these things called Italica, right? Which is kind of like Italian, but it's like the knockoff, <laughs> Italica. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's the big mo uh, motorcycle brand in Mexico. And everybody has them. Every town you go to, there's, you know, because there's all these people, you know, everywhere you go, because a lot of these countries um, where motorcycles are more prevalent, that's what it is. In the towns, you have a lot of motorcycles. So we bought these little motorcycles, $1,300 each, brand new motorcycles, which in the U.S. would cost at least $4,000, $5,000. Um, and then we just planned it out for like a week. And we're like, oh, let's go off, you know, let's take off. So every day we do like four or five hours of riding. And then we made our way eventually to the coast, uh, the, the west coast of Mexico. We made our way to Mazatlan. Um, which is a coastal town there. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of thing I love to do, just kind of up and go random adventure. And to prove people sort of wrong, if you will, because a lot of yeah. people, oh, you can't, you shouldn't travel in Mexico. It's so dangerous. Yeah, don't believe everything you, you see on the news and stuff like that. I mean, I had nothing but nice experiences with the people I met and everything. And the same goes with sailing. Oh, it's so this, you have to, so much preparation. You can't do something like that. Okay, I'll do it. I, ha I did have some, uh, a couple of times where it was, uh, I learned the hard way, you know, but it, it, I'm, I'm just saying there's a happy medium, right? You don't have to be the extreme of like, um, I, I'm, I have to be so prepared that you actually, you actually never go, you know, versus yeah. the, the person who just takes off on a, you know, little 
little uh, raft or whatever and says, oh, I can make it. No, obviously you're not getting, you have to be somewhere uh, prepared enough to be safe. Uh, but I don't believe you have to be so overly um, cautious that it takes the adventure away from it. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it, I, a lot of people would say, oh, you, you know, sailing, you have to be so cautious, this and that. Yes, you have to have certain preparations in place, um, but you can't let that take away from just going and doing it, right? So that's kind of the, the, the balancing act right there. Yeah, I mean, they say if you're waiting for your boat to be perfect, you'll never leave the dock. Exactly. Every, every, exactly. every week something's breaking, you know, a wire pops oh, yeah. out, something's happening, you oh, need yeah. to service something and it never goes. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so interesting that you you enjoy that lifestyle because from your background, you must be a very, like, strict regimented person from, like, ah. your professional career uh, into, move, into doing what you do now. That is a huge change. Yeah, a little bit, you know, because I had uh, military service here in the U.S. Um, uh, yeah, and that's, yeah, <laughs> that was a little bit of the, the conflict. I would go have my day job, but I kind of wanted this outlet to be able to uh, escape a little bit and have a little more free-forming uh, creative side. Uh, I'll give you a, just a quick snippet of my background. So I grew up in Missouri in the U.S. here, which is smack dab in the center of yeah, the right United the States. You know, no real water around there as far as boating activities. There's a couple of lakes and things. People do some small uh, ski boating and whatnot, which uh, I did a couple of times as a, as a kid and stuff, but not definitely no, you know, sailing and stuff like that. Moved to California right after I finished my college uh, university here. Uh, and I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I kind of was working odd jobs. And when I say odd jobs, I actually worked at a cemetery it's actually a famous cemetery called the Hollywood Forever Cemetery right in the middle of Hollywood uh, where they have like all kinds of actors that have been buried there and stuff I think like Cecil B. DeMille and all these old-time uh, movie stars um, anyway worked there for a bit and then I started law school at a night uh, night law school program in Los Angeles uh, finished that and worked various uh, uh, law jobs after that. You know, I worked for the state attorney general's office. I worked for a federal judge as a clerk. And um, again, nothing to do with water stuff, right? Nothing to do with sailing. But I've always loved the ocean, the sea. Uh, since I was a kid, we've done a couple, when, when I was a you know, young kid, my family did a couple of like road trips to Florida. You know, that was the closest water, water, uh, the panhandle of Florida. And I just loved the ocean, right? And, snorkeling, uh, jumping in, just swimming, just enjoying that, uh, the water kind of lifestyle, the beach. And uh, that's one of the reasons I moved to California. So then after the uh, law school and some of the law jobs got into the Navy, and my first job in the Navy was in San Diego, which is just an incredible uh, town uh, in California, and pretty big into sailing there. And so that's where I picked up sailing. They had actually a, a course in the Navy that you could take for free. And it was just like a basic learn how to sail kind of thing. And from the day, you know, day one, I was hooked with the, uh, the sailing and the idea that it's, cause it's kind of a, it's an interesting combination, obviously sailing. Uh, it's different than obviously, you know, jumping in an RV or something. It's like, there's a lot of factors in play, right? You have to adjust things for wind. And if you don't have wind that day, you know, what are you going to do to adjust? There's a lot of kind of calculations and adjustments. And I think that appealed to me. And I think that's probably what appeals to a lot of people when it comes to sailing is the, kind of challenge to it right it's kind of like do you like playing chess or you know certain puzzle games right that's kind of how it is right uh, um, uh, and the idea that you could uh, theoretically take off and, and just go right and just go uh, somewhere in the world uh, and I think that's the lure 
of uh, sailing through the history, you know, through through the times where people uh, build this, you know, back in the whatever days, you know, build build some sailing vessel and then uh, just take off for new lands, you know. So that's the that's the sort of lure and, and appeal, I think, of sailing. Uh, so then from that point, just developed uh, more and more loving sailing. Bought a uh, bought a couple of small boats from here. You know, from when I lived in Annapolis, Maryland, which is another big sailing town. The Navy also took me to Annapolis. Um, so every step of the way, just learning more and more about, uh, about boats and meeting new people that are involved with it. So, uh, you know, that's why I've gotten so into it. Okay. Yeah. So, right. Let's say, for example, you, you were in the Navy and then you mentioned you had like a, a legal career as well. Right. Right. That, I mean, that is an established career. You know, you've, every, I suppose you've got like a blueprint set out for your entire life when you're in that type of position. What, what brought you to the point where you were like, no, I want to stop doing this and I want to focus on, you know, like what's in my heart, what's in my soul, what I believe I was meant right. to do? Because that, that is a huge jump. It's not like working in a store and then going traveling. It's like, it's a very right. serious job <laughs> to give up and, and to start traveling the world. Yeah, I mean, and that's the challenge for a lot of people, uh, because if you're going to do some longer sailing trip, I mean, it's going to take months, right? Sometimes uh, you can't just take off like a week and expect to do a big sailing trip. That's going to be several months. So I was like, well, I can't take a vacation, you know, from my job, you know, the two week vacation and do a big sailing trip. Now, there are ways to do that. I mean, you could you could um, go and join someone for a week at, a, at an island or something, uh, or you can have a various you know, adventure. But if you're going to do it, Kind of with your own boat taking off from a, uh, an area that's not even close to where your destination is uh, you're going to need several months anyway so with that said i'm like well i can't keep my job um and i wanted to follow kind of my heart i know and, and a lot of people on my uh, that comment on my channel uh, maybe uh, older folks who are like i wish i would have done that when i was uh, younger now my you know body can't really handle a lot of the the stress maybe that uh, sailing involves um so that was you know, a little bit of the motivation just to get out and do it while you can. Uh, and I think that resonated, you know, and then I kind of started sharing some of that idea with uh, viewers and it really resonates with folks, I think, because it's true. I mean, we're here for a very short amount of time true. and even, even shorter is probably the time that we can just do completely spontaneous, you know, stuff. Maybe when you're uh, younger without kids or, you know, a spouse or different things, so there's a there's maybe a time window to do it. Uh, although I think that you can make a, a window kind of any any place in your life probably to at least uh, satisfy a little bit of your uh, your dreams and things like that. But for me, that was like okay, I want to. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, as most a lot of people within the law profession, they do get a little burnt out. Uh, and I was at that uh, point where I just wasn't into the into it. I mean. The, the setting their computer research and whatever for, for legal precedent and things like that. So I got a little burnout. I wanted a bit of a break from it. So I thought that was the perfect kind of time to, to split the, the career. I had a little, I had the five years in the Navy. So I was like, okay, at that point, take a break, come back and figure out what I'm going to do. If I want to have to, if I'm going to get back into the law or, or whatever. So that was the uh, decision right there. So did you, did you take a small break? and then go back into your career? Or did you take that small break and were like, no, this is me. There's no way I'm going back. Well, it's it's complicated kind of thing. Uh, I got out of the Navy. Uh, I took off probably four months and did the sailing uh, trip through the Bahamas and things, uh, which originally I was planning. This is another long story that we probably don't have time for, but 
the original plan was actually to, you know, and this is, this goes to show you some of the wide-eyed things of people who uh, look at sailing and, oh, I can do that. I want to do this, this really uh, grand adventure. Um, but then when you do it, you realize there are certain limitations, time, money. Um, so I took off from Annapolis thinking that I was going to take my boat all the way back to California. Uh, my fiance, who lives in Southern California, was another reason I got out of the Navy because we wanted to be in the same ge geographic location. So that was the plan. And I had all this logistic stuff. Oh, it's going to uh, perfect schedule. You know, perfect schedules never, never, never really works when you're on a boat. <laughs> right. So I'm going to do, you know, a week here. Then on this date, I'm going to make it to this place in, uh, you know, uh, Southern Caribbean, this type of thing, then Panama. And within the first week, it was like, okay, how much money am I? I'm just, just doling out money for repair work. Uh, had a lot of engine problems the first week of my journey. Um, even the sale I had to repair, which is like a $1,500 uh, fix. Anyway, a lot of, a lot of money things. And then the time it's like, okay, I thought I was going to be there within a month. Now it's, you know, on this, on, on the second end of the second month and I'm still only halfway, you know, kind of thing. So <laughs> really sidetracks. Right. And so it was one of these where I had to make a, a tough decision in the Bahamas. And I was like, well, do I want to really stress and figure out how fast I can go because I need to get there at a certain time before, you know, hurricane season and whatnot. Or do I kind of relax in the Bahamas, which is a great place to uh, enjoy and actually dive in a little further rather than just always having to move, move, move. So I made the decision to, uh, you know, sort of soak in the Bahamas. So I was there a couple of months and I got to explore, you know, various places, just like on the last video, the Long Island, uh, and then continued to explore a bit more the Exumas, which is like the paradise of all, you know, tropical islands, in my opinion, uh, which I, I think a couple of videos back, I had just a general, uh, I think title was something like exploring the Exumas. That was a great video. And, and that was one where my fiance actually came out for my birthday and we uh, did a, like a speedboat tour and they take you on a speedboat to all these different like snorkeling spots and like swimming with the sharks and this and that. But that just goes to show you like this tropical playground. And I'm like, oh, why am I going to just pass through so quickly? Maybe not be able to come back in my life or whatever. So why don't I just uh, sit back and enjoy this? Very, you know, so I would just take small trips and, and enjoy certain little islands around there. But that just tells you, you have to be uh, willing to adapt um, swallow your pride a little bit and be like, okay, I, I set out this crazy, you know, I'm going to go for the moon or whatever. But if I, you know, if I go halfway and I'm still enjoying all these other locations, uh, then it's, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I mean, the excitement is in the journey. It's not arriving yes. at the destination. <laughs> so yeah, that kind of makes sense. So this, this big trip, which was from Annapolis, intending to go all the way around back to California, this was the one that you documented on, uh, YouTube where you had some issues like going through the Gulf Stream. Oh yeah. 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 Can you do, just expect, because you spoke a lot about that and it seemed horrific. Like you were genuinely torn up. Like you, you could tell watching you were like, well, this, this seems really bad, but you, did, you didn't record it. Do, can you just talk a bit more about what actually happens there and like the details of what went wrong yeah, yeah. And, and what yeah. stressed you so much? And, and looking back, um, it wasn't as bad uh, you know, I think if I had a little more experience, uh, if it were a couple months later, I think I probably could have come out of that on the right way without being so freaked out. But uh, just to kind of give you the, the, the story of it, uh, I go in, well, first of all, I had planned with a crew member. And another thing, whenever you are uh, planning a sail, sailing trip, a lot of people aren't 
going to be able to take off for a couple months, right? You can't have just your buddy who may, you know, from your high school or whatever that comes with you. So I had to put out some feelers and, and emails and things like, okay, anybody interested in crew work? And I ended up going to a random, I think, a website that attracted uh, crew people. And I connected with a guy who's like, oh, I'm going to go with you the whole time. I have the whole, you know, time off, three months available, whatever. Um, within like the first week, kind of our first time out in the ocean, because um, we were just to give you the geographic uh, kind of layout, you know, the, the U.S., we have the East Coast. And there's this thing called the ICW uh, Intracoastal Waterway, which is almost like a river because uh, it's a narrow body of water that's probably a mile or less from the ocean, but it's inland, right? There's, and it goes all the way down the coast. And a lot of times you might take that uh, waterway with your engine the whole way. We wouldn't really be able to sail because it's like narrow. Um, and you wouldn't go out to the ocean, but I was like, I want to get out to the ocean and do some sailing down and this and that. So the first couple of times we did that by like uh, North Carolina and things like that, uh, Virginia and things, uh, it was fairly, you know, different than maybe he imagined. Um, and it was even a little more intense than I was thinking as far as the seriousness of the waves and, uh, you know, we're going into the night and it's like, we're, you know, healing over and we're like, you know, the waves and things. And uh, we're kind of holding on for dear life. We're like, oh, only another, you know, five hours or whatever until we get to our destination, which <laughs> is going to be like, you know, four in the morning or whatever. Um, anyway, so I think that first leg, he kind of freaked out. He's like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to, you know, participate in this. Uh, I got to leave, you know, kind of thing. So at that point, I'm like, I'm not going to let that interfere with my my dreams of doing this trip. And to be honest, I like the aspect of sailing solo. Uh, I did a little bit of it in, in uh, Annapolis, but I was on a small boat in the day, you know, going out mm. for, a, for a day trip kind of thing. But I loved it. I loved that feeling of being alone on the boat and having to, having to figure out every aspect of the logistics of, uh, of sailing. Anyway, so when he jumped off, I did something that was, looking back, very stupid and, and naive, uh, which a lot of, you know, the old time sailors let you know uh, that in the YouTube comments for sure. But they, um, what, what I did was I uh, decided, okay, the next day after he left, I'm just going to take off by myself. Having never once taken the, this particular boat, which was a larger boat than my first. So this is a 38-foot Beneteau that I took off on to the Bahamas. My other boat was a 25-foot uh, Capri, which is very manageable, you know, just a little, little boat. Uh, that's where I actually did my, uh, like, learn how to sail video, which is kind of the biggest video I have right now. Uh, anyway, so this bigger 38-foot uh, Beneteau, having never taken it on my own, literally the first time I was going to take it was taking off from the dock and planning to go for four or five days straight without ever seeing, you know, without seeing land. Uh, so I take off, and I was in uh, Hilton Head Island uh, in South Carolina, and at a little marina. So I fill up with fuel, and even taking off from the dock, I mean, my heart is pounding and whatnot. And I'm back. I'm like, I don't even know if I can back out of the dock by myself, you know, because it's like usually you would have somebody helping you throw the lines and this and that. Uh, luckily, I had a couple of guys there at the dock um, that I saw standing by another boat a couple uh, docks down. Hey, guys, do you mind coming over? I'm taking off. You mind just throwing the, the ropes up the lines? So they did that and they kind of helped me push back from the dock. And at that point, I'm just like, oh, you know, turn. I'm having to turn out of the marina. And then I'm like, OK, I have to go over to the fuel dock, which is just a uh, hundred meters down. And then even pulling into that, how am I going to do this? But ended up, you know, I was able to work it in, get into the fuel dock just fine. 
um, when I left the fuel dock, the guy who was doing the fuel helped me again, kind of push the boat off and throw the lines uh, onto the boat. And at that point, I'm just like, okay, I guess I'm completely going for it, you know? Uh, and that was, I got a couple of clips of that on my, uh, on my camera as I'm kind of navigating out of the channel. And then I left kind of the little bay area. Then I got further, further than I mean, of course, you know, you can't see the, the land and then it's the next day and I'm out there in the middle, just, you know, beautiful weather. And I'm just like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Uh, and then I think it was like the second or third day when I didn't really have any rest hardly at all. Um, uh, so the sleep deprivation, which I kind of highlighted in that video, which I think was probably the number one issue. That to probably be had a lot to do with it. I don't think it was as much of the conditions. Um, it was more the sleep deprivation freaking me out. Uh, and the fact that like, I'm not even halfway there and now I'm three days in and I haven't slept. Um, how am I going to make it another three days in, in, in these same uh, conditions? And when I say conditions, I'm not talking about like the waves and the wind. I'm talking about the conditions of not being able to sleep, um, having problems with the autopilot. I was thinking, oh, I'll be able to, you know, catch some rest with the autopilot going easier said than done. I think a lot of uh, experienced folks can do that. Um, but, it, you know, you kind of freak out like, okay, I'm sleeping here and this boat is going down on autopilot. Um, and, you know, uh, how am I going to catch any rest doing that? Anyway, so I get in to, get to, to the long story of getting to your your question. Uh, it was overnight, and uh, the waves and winds started picking up pretty pretty good. Uh, the waves in particular were like you know pretty extreme uh, in the Gulf Stream, where the boats completely you know doing this sort of thing. And at one point, I'm trying to uh, rest a little, but also maintain everything on the boat uh, trying to do the autopilot the uh somehow i got twisted in the wind going up upwind and my head sail just starts you know flapping uh like crazy uh, in iron in, in irons is the technical term where all the sails are just taking you know going off with the wind there's they're not catching it because you're going into the wind and um my uh, roller furling line, you know, that you have to pull back on the thing, uh, gets tangled in the, the sheet. Uh, so at this point, it's like one of these, the sail is like halfway uh, taken in with the roller furling and halfway out. It wasn't on the right, you know, uh, uh, the side of the, the boat and everything's all tangled and whatnot. And I'm just freaking out because if I go onto this side, then it's gonna be back winded on the sail. Uh, which is the direction I wanted to go. If I'm going this way, I'm going the opposite direction I need to be. If I'm going into irons, into the wind, I'm just all in the, in the waves are just really pushing me around. So this is like, I don't know, three in the morning, I would say when all this was happening. Um, and I'm just like, as far as kind of the freaking out, no, no, again, going back to the no sleep. At one point, I literally sit there in my, uh, in the cockpit because the shape of it, here's the steering wheel, the helm. Uh, and the shape of the cockpit is kind of shaped like that. So the floorboard kind of goes like that under the, under the steering wheel. So it kind of, it's almost like imagine a little bathtub, you know, every people, you would know, you know, people know this uh, on a sailboat, but it's like this area behind the steering wheel. So I sit down in it kind of like a bathtub and I'm like holding on, you know, like this, like I can't even, <laughs> even with the bad conditions, uh, I'm just trying to like, can I just rest for 30, you know, 30 minutes or 10 minutes? Uh, whatever. Um, and I pretty much hold on uh, until I could finally see uh, in daylight, you know, whatever it was, 530 in the morning. 
And uh, at that point I was able to see, and, and it was kind of freak out. I do, I definitely wish I had some camera footage of this because I'm, it's, it's straight out of a movie where you're holding on to all the lines, you're running up to the front, you're being, you know, throwing around, I'm like, ah, grabbing the, you know, grabbing the lines and trying to you know, get everything untangled. Finally got everything untangled and I was able to use the head sail, um, but, you know, steer still seriously in, in these serious waves. And at that point I was like, okay, I, I don't want to do three more days of this or whatever, however long it's going to be. Uh, the other nightmare portion, uh, nightmare portion of this was that, uh, uh, you know, in the Gulf Stream, you have this current that's like five knots pushing you up and I'm trying to go down at an angle um, and only going, uh, you know, I think it was like one or two knots. So I'm calculating this. If I'm going one or two knots, <laughs> going another like 200 miles that I need to make it, uh, that would take me 10 days or whatever. You know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, the goal is once you get past this current in the Gulf Stream, it would pick up, you'd be able to pick up speed and then go on your normal uh, speed. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a plan B. I turned back and I was able to use the current from the Gulf Stream to push me back to Florida, mm. uh, to Jacksonville, Florida. But, you know, I, it was kind of nice because I was able to use that, uh, that Gulf Stream to get back. And I was able to kind of relax a little bit because the waves were all pushing the, from behind, you know, the following seas uh, and, the, and the wind was in the right direction. Uh, so... Uh, getting back was a lot easier than trying to fight against it. So that was a big learning uh, curve. And, it, and a lot of my research would show like, oh, you don't want to go out in the Gulf Stream if you're getting, uh, you know, northerly winds and things. So it was like everything that was possible uh, wrong kind of went wrong. You know, uh, it wasn't like a crazy storm or whatever. Uh, it was just the conditions were not right to be trying to cross the, uh, the Gulf Stream at that moment. Uh, mm. So learned the hard way, um, was stubborn about it. Like, oh, I want to have this four or five day uh, nonstop trip rather than, you know, hugging the land. I think that's a kind of a, a appeals to a lot of sailors, right? You want to be, you want to go on this longer voyage where you're not in, you know, not inside of land to kind of have the full experience. Um, so I was a little stubborn. Oh, I don't want to just hug the coast. I don't want to go down to Florida because a lot of people go down to Florida uh, Fort Lauderdale, and then they'll cross over to the Bahamas, and you can do it in less than a day. It's like six or seven hours of uh, yeah. sailing to get over there. That's what I eventually did. What I should have probably done um, from the whole, you know, from the get-go. But this, uh, I think, experience was one of those like uh, learning. You know, you learn much more on your mistakes probably than your successes. You know, so it was a huge learning uh, experience for me. So, okay, just to like sum up, this was your first solo sail experience in a brand new boat right it was a four-day overnight trip you had right. massive waves you were going against right. a five knot current right. and your autopilot didn't work right yeah yeah it was, <laughs> yeah, it was terrible yeah it wasn't good and you know people were like oh you're you're you know you're, you're lucky you didn't get you know whatever taken out you know having to be rescued by the coast guard or whatever well, for one the coast guard wasn't even you know i i even made some um uh, calls on my radio to see if anybody was even within range and nobody was. So I, it, mm. it wouldn't even have mattered if, you know, whatever. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, pleasant or it wasn't a good move. But saying that, that goes back to my original, I think, talk at, a very, at the very beginning of our conversation, where it's like you can be extremely cautious. Um, but there's been people in our past that have taken off on, you know, 20 foot boats or whatever and sailed across, you know, around the world. Yeah. Um, 
without any of the safety measures that I had. So uh, I don't know. I, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're really re reckless and things like that. I don't know that I was. Um, I did have a lot of precautions that a lot of people don't. Um, there's a guy, now I'm blanking on his name, but uh, anyway, um, he like circled the, the globe in a, like, a, I think it was an 18 foot boat or something like that. But yeah, um, with, I think he had paper charts and he said something like after day two, with, after getting a couple of waves, the paper charts were ruined anyway. So he didn't have anything. He just took mm -hmm. off, you know, uh, and he, uh, he made it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of stories of people not making it, but my point is, um, it could have been a lot worse and it wasn't, uh, I think as, uh, as life whatever risking as I was probably, um, imagining at the moment when I had no sleep, you know? Yeah. I think when you're in that state of mind, especially if you've not slept for, well, like three days at that point and you're just dealing right. with like you know the pounding of the waves the pressure the right. emotion that would really really take its toll on you so did you so from from that point you then went back to jacksonville you said and then from right. jacksonville right. you just did the normal crossing of, of going down florida and then heading over that's right so the um you know from jacksonville down to fort lauderdale or no no uh, west palm beach uh, has the icw where you can take this like river essentially so that's what I did, uh, and I would just do normal you know, day trips, and then at the nighttime I would anchor uh, and continue that down the uh, down this ICW until I got to uh, West Palm Beach. And actually, a friend of mine joined me because um, he wanted to go for like four or five days out on the boat. So we uh, together we went over to uh, the Bahamas uh, West End, they call it, which is kind of the closest point uh, from uh, West Palm Beach in the Bahamas. And that was, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was like a six or eight hour uh, trip to get there. So much easier than when I tried to do it. Uh, and then when you're there and you, when you get past the Gulf Stream, you don't have that concern anymore about the current. So it becomes a whole different ball game and a lot easier to navigate uh, than when you're trying. That's the biggest thing I think a lot of, you know, for, for a lot of people is like, well, how do you get past that one kind of hurdle to the other side and the other side kind of, you know, you're in this little more of a safe zone in the Bahamas and things. So that's what we did. So since that, so since the attempt to do like the four day passage and cause we, within the Caribbean, you, you can more or less hop around the islands just doing day sails. Do, have you attempted yet to do a big four, five, six day passage after your initial experience? Uh, not, not solo. Um, no, I did go uh, toward the end of my trip down there, which I'm still, you know, I'm still editing video from, uh, I had another guy with me and we took off and did uh, a couple of days, uh, on the boat, uh, nonstop and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I haven't, haven't attempted to do, uh, anything that's a nor, you know, a crazy, you know, multi-day, uh, passage on my own. Mm. And I don't see myself doing that anytime soon. <laughs> uh, not that I'm, <laughs> not that I'm like afraid of it or whatever. It's just that it, it is, you know, it is a lot of preparation involved. Um, and right now living in Southern California, I don't have that, uh, you know, unless I go to Hawaii, which I think is like a 20, 21 or 25 day uh, trip. Um, yeah, I don't plan to do anything like that anytime soon, but you never know, you know, I've got actually a, a friend of mine who's talking about doing the Hawaii uh, route that he's like, Oh, you could go with me and this and that. So you never know. Um, I don't know about solo any, uh, uh, again, but I might do it with one other person kind of thing. I think it's good to do it with one other person and then just take the helm and manage the ship for a while by exactly. yourself. Um, so exactly. like whenever, whenever we go cruising, I'm always with my wife. She's taking care right. of my kids. She's down below. 
So I've right. only ever solo sailed. If if I if I need something, I can I can shout. Right. I can say, oh, come up and give me a hand. So like yeah, like you said, going out with a friend and getting right. used to it is probably the right way to go around it. Oh yeah, uh, and that's you know. Uh, but yeah, just like you said, I mean, you can you can have someone grab the helm, even if you even if your autopilot does go out, that they can still hold on to it for a couple of hours while you get a little rest, you know. So I mean, you never know unexpected things happen, and having that one other person there is really the key, you know. But, but and there is this lure. I mean, there's plenty of these solo uh, sailors out there, um, and I think that's what a lot of people. There's a certain, I guess, mindset, and probably myself included, that they love to hear the sort of stories and learn about the solo sailing adventures. Right. Uh, Cause it's kind of a toll cat. It's a category in itself. So. Yeah. The, the sleep is such an important part. I mean, you, you, are basically sleeping in like 15 minute intervals, especially if you're doing a night passage, like one thing which right. I just do is set the phone or set my alarm every 15 minutes, pop your head up, check you're not heading towards a ship check there's not like some island popped up out of somewhere but it's a completely different mindset it's a completely different way of sailing as well oh yeah oh yeah um you definitely have to calculate you know your kind of logistics and and i, I think a lot of a lot of sailors end up be you know they're like engineers or like even pilots and things like that uh seem to love sailing and i think it's that certain mindset of uh planning everything and you know my friend who came in uh uh, just came to sail with me out of uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. He's a pilot. He's actually retired. He was a, a military pilot for several years, and then he went on to do commercial airline pilot. But that was his love of, you know, he loves the sort of charting and the map, you know, plotting maps. And I, that's what you do, I think, as I don't know, you know if I've never flown a plane, but I mean, as an airline pilot, uh, that's what you do. You have to think of all these things. And I think it's a similar uh, mindset and preparation, you know. Mm. So the boat you've got now is a, a, a new boat. Yeah, well, it's new for me. It's, a, yeah, it's not new. new. Um, it's a 1965 uh, Choi Lee, 36 uh, foot. And I haven't, you know, probably by the time your, your viewers would ever see this, I haven't even done any kind of uh, publishing of anything about that boat. Um, but to give you the history of my boat ownership, when I first learned to sail in San Diego, I was learning on an 18 foot boat had you know no engine that kind of thing uh, you're having to sail in and out of the dock to learn how to do it and you know you which i think is the best way to to learn uh and then after that that was not my own boat but i i learned on that boat uh, and they had at that same dock like 22 foot and then um, 25 foot boats you could rent which i did a few times anyway so i moved to annapolis and i found a 25 foot uh, capri 25 it's called which i is the boat that i used like i said for that uh, learn how to sail video owned that for like a year, year and a half. And that's when, you know, like, like most things that you buy, whether it's, you know, motorcycles or sailboats, you always want to upgrade, you know, yeah, something wait bigger, to go to the next level, <laughs> bigger and better. Right. So uh, I searched around for this uh, Beneteau 30, uh, 38 and bought that and uh, sold my 25 foot, you know, so I've always only had like one boat at one. Well, there's a little overlap, like most things when you buy, uh, but uh, I always would sell the other item before I really you know, committed to the other. Anyway, so I got the 38-foot boat, and that's what I really focused on, the major improvements for open ocean naviga you know, navigation and uh, uh, sailing. Uh, so that was probably where I spent the most time and money on uh, uh, you know, refitting the boat for open ocean. Took that to the Bahamas, took it back to Florida. This is a, this is a long story in and of itself, but I was trying to figure out cost-wise how I could get that boat to California if I wasn't going to try to take it myself. 
which taking it myself would have cost several thousand dollars just on fuel and food and whatever, um, which he didn't, I didn't really calculate. And the more I talked to people that were very, you know, longtime sailors experienced, they're like, well, the, the amount of wear and tear on the engine itself, trying to go up from Panama to California, because you have to a lot of times go against the wind and the current and everything on the, in the Pacific ocean, when you're going up the coast, they say one, it's going to be a brutal, a brutal ride. Cause you're kind of going up, up wind and you're going up waves. Um, and you're using the engine. They say the wear and tear on that is going to be thousands of dollars by the time you need to get back and repair things. Um, anyway, so then I was like, well, what are the other options? Uh, looked at trucking companies to take a boat that size, and it would have been like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars U.S. to um, take the boat from Florida to California. So decided economically, it's not worth any. You know, I bought the boat you know, I think it was like $30,000, you know, so like you're spending half the money of that just to get the boat to California. And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't make sense. I can come back out here and try to buy a boat. So long story is I sold the, uh, sold the boat in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then took that money. And when I got back to California, uh, well, actually with that money, I bought another Capri 25 because I, okay. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't need anything big for out in California. I just want something to sort of do the day sailing around in the Harbor there's a Newport beach Harbor. That's very, you know, has like a, a small sailboats and things like that. Oh, that's what I could use. Um, and then I had that for like a year. Uh, and then I bought this, uh, 1965 Choi Lee, which mostly bought it because it's just such a classic, uh, boat with the, you know, all the wood woodworking and whatnot, uh, on the top side. So I've been spending the last like six months just completely uh, revarnishing. Uh, I was out just yesterday, uh, sanding, you know, sanding parts of the boat to revarnish. Um, so it's been like kind of project hobby. And the reason I wanted something a little bit bigger than the 25 is because I wanted something with the cabin down below and the head down below. So you could actually go for overnight trips um, because there's the island of Catalina nearby in California, which is like, uh, it's like 35 miles off the coast. Um, so it's a good like six hour, you know, sail to get over there. And you can go there, spend the night, uh, come back. Anyway, so I've done that a couple of times in the summertime. So that was the, the idea is that I would have that boat, the, the Choi Lee, to do a lot of that stuff. And, and the difference between the Choi Lee and the, the first 38 uh, Beneteau is quite quite remarkable because the Choi Lee is very much more, it's, it's very heavy. It's not very, it's heavier. It's a heavier boat. And the kind of comfort of hitting waves is a lot better because it really first, goes through. Yeah. Right, the, it hits. It goes through the uh, the seas a lot better uh, and smoother, whereas the first is a bit lighter because I think it's intended a little bit more for racing, like uh, harbor racing and things. It's not really intended yep. to uh, do a lot of blue water uh, sailing. But well, with that said, it was kind of known as a combination boat, um, coastal cruising and racing with the ability to go offshore, because there's actually a, a family who did a full on, you know, a couple of like circles around the, the world on this boat, on, on the same, the Benito First 38, uh, a couple of years before I, you know, took off uh, that they have a book that they wrote and stuff. Anyway, so the point is it can be done, but the Choi Lee, just the difference in sort of the stability and waves is quite different because of the, the full, one, one you have the full keel and the Choi Lee um, and it's a bit heavier so it's just a bit uh, nicer and comfort level when you're kind of going by rather than that, 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 that first 38, you know, I was doing a lot of hitting waves and doing this, you know, and because it's, yeah. So, uh, 
it's a nice it's a nice boat i'm happy very happy with the choi lee and the fact that it's kind of an antique if you will from 1965 with a lot of this uh, beautiful woodworking makes it nice too where are they made is it like singapore or thailand or something uh hong kong hong kong right okay but what what made you want to do that because you've gone from having like little mini cruisers little mini boats you've gone yeah. from like a first 38 which is more of a classic for Beneteau first because it's one of right. you know, when they were still making strong Earlier. solid boats more than what they right. do now which is more shell type of fiberglass things what, right what made you go for like a you know 1960s <laughs> you know right they're so heavy they're so big great boats but so different right uh I think uh to be honest it was more of this classic lines you know it was more for at that point I'm kind of thinking okay uh, a hobbyist more so like restoring the boat uh, more so than a practical cruiser, you know, because for the cruising, you want to, you know, you, you want something that's going to have all the amenities that you need, you know, the nice little kitchen area, uh, galley uh, space, you know, whatnot. Uh, this, even though it's two foot um, shorter than the first 38, um, it's quite a bit smaller also in the, in the inside, you know, in the, in the cabin. Um, so it's not as practical if you're going to do a, a longer cruising voyage. So for me, it was more of that, you know, classic is somebody who might collect like a classic car and it doesn't really, it's not practical for actually commuting to work. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's not like you're going to use that as your daily you know, commuter, commuter to go to work, but you would use it to sort of work on in your garage and maybe take it to a, a car show and show your buddies and then, and, and kind of talk about, oh, these are the old, you know, old style of this old style of that that was the mindset of that kind of a, a classic car collector kind of person um, with the ability to also um, use it, not just to sit there in the, at the dock or whatever. I have a mooring ball in Newport beach because it's so expensive to try to store your boat, especially here in California. Um, Can you give us some indication pretty, of the prices? Like how much does it cost in an average Marine or average mooring ball? Uh, at least $800 um, for a Marina per month. Uh, what's that, what size boats that would be like a well, 35 foot something like that yeah 35 to 40 foot kind of deal um, well that's expensive and that's and that's probably lower and i have a friend that has a, a power boat that's like i think it's a 35 foot power boat and i think he's paying 900 or a thousand a month for the dock you know just by itself mm -hmm. so no way i could afford that um the mooring ball situation out here is is also a bit odd you actually have to purchase the mooring ball from like the previous owner. So it's almost like a real estate transaction and it's quite expensive. A thousand uh, averages about a thousand dollars per foot. So, um, you know, if your mooring ball is capable, like for example, my, even though my boat is 36 foot, um, 36 feet long, um, it's the mooring positioning is actually set up for like a, it could hold a 45. 45 so you pay for that price. Right. Uh, yeah. And then you could up, you could upgrade, but then when you sell it, the idea is that you could potentially make some money off of that uh, with inflation, at least, if not some of the value, just like a real estate purchase, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, on top of that, you're paying taxes to the city because it's like a city harbor of about 150 to 200 dollars per month, and that's just wow. in the taxes. But that's a lot cheaper than the thousand dollars just sort of th at the dock. Yeah. So I have the um, I have the mooring ball and it's quite interesting because every day, not every day, probably every other day I'm out there working on it and I'm using, um, I have a little inflatable paddle board 
and actually one of my videos way back that had nothing to do with sailing. It was actually reviewing a paddleboard that some company had sent me. I'm using one of those. I have a couple of those paddleboards and I'm using that every day. I pump it up, takes about 10 minutes at the, at the parking lot. I carry it down to the dock. I take my little paddle. I'm like paddling out, you know, to the uh, boat. I get on the boat. I do all kinds of work. Um, I have a little generator, you know, one of those, like, uh, it's not, it's like a Honda generator style, mm. uh, where you can plug in. I have some, you know, if I have tools and a vacuum cleaner or my heat gun or a drill, things like that. Uh, so I've got everything I need on that boat to work on it, uh, in the position it's at in the middle of the, the water there. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going over on a paddleboard. That's brilliant. Oh yeah. So what, what, what condition was this boat in when you bought it? And like, what, what, what have you done to it and what are you doing to it to get it to how you want it? Yeah. Um, actually I should send you a couple of photos. Um, you know, I don't know if you can flash them up or whatever, but, uh, from the earlier when I first bought it, but it was, uh, the varnishing was completely, you know, uh, horrible. Um, the owner had, you know, neglected the varnishing. So what happens is when the boat is varnished, it just starts after a couple of years, it'll start peeling off and it just mm -hmm. looks really bad. Um, and that's what had happened to this boat. So what I've done since then, uh, I've taken all the old varnish off, uh, at least for the main parts. I'm still, there's still some kind of uh, decorative pieces that I need to do. But anyway, taking all the varnishing off with a, and it's complicated in itself. You got to do a heat gun. You got to have a paint scraper. You got to heat up the varnish. Then you got to scrape it off. And it's, you know, you're, you're doing a couple of inches at a time over the entire boat. So it takes weeks to do it for me anyway. Uh, anyway, so I've done all that. And now I am re-varnishing um, all the woodworking, which, like I said, I'll send you a photo and you'll see how much woodworking it is. It's pretty intense yeah, with the imagine. amount of woodworking. The biggest project I'll have, which is going to be uh, down the road still a few months, is repairing the entire uh, teak deck. It has a full-on teak deck, um, which is uh, in parts, it has some bad, uh, bad wood and some broken areas of the, of the teak. So I'll, I'll try to repair that. A lot of people are telling me, oh, you should just take that off. And, you know, you'll have the fiberglass deck and this and that. Eh, I don't know. That's more practical. But for me, the whole kind of classic car show look of this is the teak deck itself. So I really want to find a way to keep that uh, teak deck in a way that I can repair it and, and use it. It's going to be it's going to be very tough and I may have to, you know, uh, improvise. But it's it's a fun it's a fun project. It's definitely um uh, a lot of work, uh, more work than I'd imagined when I purchased the boat. I think, though, with that type of boat, like because of how, how gorgeous they are and the lines on them, yeah. to take the teak deck off, it would be like buying a classic Mercedes and right. be like, oh, right. let's cut the roof off because I want a convertible. Right. You just don't right. do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it would be murder if you did that. That's what I, yeah, that's exactly my, 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 my thought process. So, um, I've had a, I had a, you know, actually the guy that I bought the boat, well, I bought it from a broker. And uh, he had a boat that was a power boat, but it had a teak deck. And he was showing me because it was like right next to this, where this boat was for sale at the dock, actually in San Diego. His boat was next to it. Anyway, he's like, oh, what you could do is what I did to mine, which is I varnished the entire deck, which I'm thinking, you know, your viewers or whatever will probably cringe if they know any kind of <laughs> boat repair work, because you just don't varnish a deck that's a sailing boat because it makes it slippery. And if you're trying to do a lot of work on it, uh, but I'm trying to find a way to possibly apply some varnish after I do some repair work of the wood to protect the, uh, the deck. 
there are some things like um, teak products, you know, teak products and stuff that are more like stains and stuff, but they're not like adding that layer of protection that a varnish would. Hmm. So I'm kind of thinking of going that route and somehow maybe adding, like I've, I've researched this a bit, but you can add like a, a non-stick additive that's more of a clear, uh, oh, almost like, like a, silica balls type of thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, adding that to it to where there's a little bit of a, a grip to it, but also won't take away the look of the wood. And not only that, um, like I said, since this is more of a car show, it's all, it's going to be what you're going to do with it. Right. So it's, for me, it's more of the car show boat. And I do take it over to Catalina from time to time, usually in, in making sure it's in, in, uh, uh, mellow, you know, weather conditions and whatnot. Um, I'm not, I'm not planning to be on the deck sitting there, you know, going crazy, pulling down, you know, down the sheets and everything in, in a major storm where I might be at risk of uh, slipping on the deck. Uh, obviously if you're going to do like a, major ocean crossing, you wouldn't want uh, to do the varnishing on the deck like I'm talking about. Anyway, what I'm saying is that the, the, the possibility is I might try to do some varnish on the deck, but still make a grip surface, but where you can still see the wood and protect it and kind of give it a few more years of life. I mean, well, what's it have now? 40, no, over what, 50, what, 53 years, I guess it is. So it's the original teak right deck on the boat still. Right, right. Yeah. One of the previous owners, I actually connected with uh, one of the owners that was more of the longtime owner because this guy in Los Angeles had it for like I don't know, 30 years. And I, and I had connected with him because I found this random post online that I saw the you know the whole number was matching. I'm like, wait a second, this guy must have had that boat. And sure enough, he did um, because he had sold it to a woman in San Diego. And that woman only had it for like four years. And it was during that four year period that um, kind of like no maintenance was done as far as any of the varnish. And that's whenever the varnish really uh, went went bad. So anyway, I, I contacted the previous owner who really babied the boat and took care of it. He's been giving me a lot of good advice. Um, but with, you know, that, that that's also important, I think, when buying a boat and something that's classic like this is to find someone who knows about the, these particular boats or even better, the actual boat itself, right? The owner previously. So he's been giving me several uh, little pieces of advice and he told me that he replaced the caulking on the boat on the deck. So it has, you know, the teak railing in between that you have your caulking, which it might be like black or whatever um, uh, to seal the deck planks. Um, and he did that previously like 15 years ago or something. And now a lot of that's, you know, coming, get, getting bad as well. So anyway, yeah, the, but the teak is, you know, the original from 1965. Yeah. Yeah. It must be good stuff to have lasted that long, but I think right. they, 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 I mean, I don't know where they get it from now, but I know like boats that they, that they put teak on from like, at least up to the 1990s, majority of it came from, is it Burma? That's, I, I don't know. The, the strongest one is Burmese teak, I think. I think so. I've heard a little bit of that, but I don't know the exact kind of history of it. So what, yeah. what's the uh, what's the plan with this boat? Are you fixing it up to, you know, do like a Hawaii passage? Do you want to take it down to like Central America? What's the plan with it? Uh, no, really not. I mean, uh, the plan is not to do anything long, you know, long distance. Uh, although uh, I have been, I've been exploring a lot in Mexico, kind of, as I mentioned, with my motorcycle trip. And I have explored uh, La Paz, Mexico, which is above, right above Cabo San Lucas and whatnot. If, you know, on the map, you have the Baja Peninsula and you have that uh, Sea of Cortez or, you know, the area. Uh, so it's just below California. Anyway, that area itself is supposed to be just an incredible cruising ground for boating. 
And because it's a little more contained, um, there's more places to store the boat and things like that. Anyway, the point is that I've really fallen in love with La Paz uh, as a sort of sailing ground. Uh, and even within La Paz itself, there are several small island you know, destinations and whatnot. You could go out there for a week and anchor and just be completely uh, you know, loving life. Uh, but the point is, there's a small possibility in my in the very back of my mind, you know, that if I if I got this boat fixed up, uh, and if I wanted to maybe spend a lot more time in La Paz, I could somehow take it down there, uh, down the coast, uh, go around Cabo area, and then get up to La Paz, and uh, maybe store the boat there, which may be cheaper uh, at a at a at a marina, and then fly mm -hmm. down there, you know, every three or four months and spend a week or whatever on the boat and explore some of the islands. Haven't thought too much about that right now. I'm just um, enjoying kind of the Southern California stuff and taking it back and forth to uh, Catalina. Uh, and there's a couple of other islands uh, near here that people will explore, uh, Channel Islands and what. Anyway, a couple of it's nothing like uh, nothing like the Bahamas uh, as far as exploring uh, places for, if you were to live in Florida. But there are a couple of little islands uh, out here that I could explore, which would be fun. So the 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 original intention was to go from like Annapolis, then go all the way, all the way around to California. How far right. did you get through that journey before you decided, okay, I'm going to sell this boat and just go straight there and get a new boat? Like, where, where were well, you up to in that journey? Well, I mean, it was in the Bahamas um, and kind of going down to the Southern Bahamas. And uh, at that point, I kind of realized I was running out of time and money. And when I say time, it was more because you know there's a sailing season you gotta mm -hmm. you gotta try to avoid the hurricane season um so i was like well uh, definitely not gonna make it uh, all the way down uh, to panama plus the money issues plus some boat issues that were still working out uh, on an older boat uh anyway so it was at that point when i realized okay i'm gonna just and, and i know people are probably like well that's not even a quarter of the way and you're already kind of turning back uh I, you know, that was several months into it and, you know, several thousand dollars of repairs and whatnot by that time, even. So, like I said, at the beginning, I just, I just decided to really enjoy the Bahamas and mm -hmm. um, didn't realize how much the Bahamas really had to offer as far as, you know, hidden gyms, you know, these little islands you can check out or the Exumas or different little places, even within the Exumas. I mean, you could spend a month just at the Exumas, which is an island chain. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how how many uh, like kilometers and whatnot, but it's a it's an island chain with like little tiny islands the whole way. You could spend a month just going to little places and, and finding new anchorages and uh, scuba diving or snorkeling spots or spear fishing. You know, all kinds of cool stuff. So I wanted to explore and do a little bit of that. At that point is when I decided to just chill out for a bit in the Bahamas and then uh, go back to Florida to sell the boat. Even I think even as I was going back to Florida. I still hadn't decided to sell it. I was still trying to figure out if I could somehow ship the boat um, uh, either by, there's actually some uh, big cargo shipping boats that will take uh, sailing vessels or other boats on the cargo ship and then sail it through the Panama Canal uh, and then take it up, you know, uh, and actually the furthest it would go is to Ensenada, Mexico, which is just below Tijuana, which is like a you know, hundred miles south of where I'm at now. For some reason, it was like a lot more for the boats to go all the way to the U.S. So anyway, uh, there were all these options I was looking at and everything that I looked at, the pricing was quite uh, expensive. 
and nothing really justified ex the expense of the, yeah, it's one of these things, if you have a $100,000 boat or more, which is probably typical of most sailing boats uh, of that size. But since mine was like a $30,000 boat, uh, I didn't, I couldn't justify the expense of moving it all the way. Mm. Well, one of the things on your, um, I, can't, I think I think it was the video you did just about the Exumas, or it might be one before or after, but you did like a, a, a Google Earth shots where you were saying, you know, if you look on the entire planet for the yeah, bluest yeah. spots, right. and I then went on Google Earth, and I was like, no, 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 we, we need to find another blue spot. <laughs> and it, it, is the, it is the bluest water, it's the, it's the right. clearest water, it's, it's such a stunning place. Oh, yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I was shocked by. Uh, I, you know, there are, of course, if you zoom into places, there's going to be uh, other, like I think in New Zealand and things, you know, you'll see. But as far as the big blue from, you can see kind of from the furthest out on the satellite images, I think it's the Bahamas. Mm. And, you know, the reason is, is because it's so shallow there. Um, so you can see the sand underneath the water uh, for the entire you know, chain of islands, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a stunning, a stunning place. Just regarding the YouTube videos, so, you know, traveling, sailing, it's it's a hobby and it's something that someone does to enjoy. But at, at what point did you decide, OK, I want to document what I'm doing and share it with the world? Um, like, what, what made you want to do that? And then just just with regards to the YouTube stuff, how, how do you decide what you want to film, what you want to put on YouTube? And then how do you plan that? Because solo sailing and filming... And then you've got to edit right. the thing as well. This is uh -huh. like documentary making at its most extreme. You know, it's not, oh, yeah. something, oh, just walk around with a camera. Yeah, it's going to look good. It's like there's a lot of thought goes into it, I imagine. Yes. I'm always thinking, okay, what's anybody going to want to see, right? And I may be wrong because people might be like, oh, we want to just see the daily activities or whatever. Um, but, you know, I might have already shown the typical daily stuff. So, okay, what can I show next? Maybe it's going to be uh, anchoring, which is actually the video I'm working on now. Um, just pulling up anchor as a solo sailor, you know. Um, so it's just a variety. I want to try to give a variety of, of things that you might see when you're uh, boating. Um, and the, you, you bring up a good point, and that's one of the reasons I'm so far behind in my editing is because I, I'm I'm almost too I, I know I am too much of a perfectionist when it comes to the editing, and I think that's really uh, a down a downfall. And a lot of people talk about this when they're not necessarily for sailing channels, but I, I and it's funny because I don't even watch a lot of sailing videos. I watch a lot of like filmmaking video people like YouTubers that are more like um, video creators and they talk about that experience. Okay. Um, and a lot of people are like, yeah, if you if you're such a perfectionist, and you spend two or three weeks editing a 10 minute piece, it's going to take away the whole, you know, you, sometimes you have, you know, what is it? Perfection is the enemy of good enough or whatever is I think the saying goes where it's like, you need to get out the, the experience and the content uh, and stop worrying about, I mean, I'll spend a couple of hours on a, literally a, like a 10 second intro, like the video you just mentioned that I just put out that was uh, about hitchhiking in the, uh, the Long Island Bahamas. I have this probably not even 10 second long uh, Google Earth uh, intro where I'm zooming down into the earth and then through the zooming on, I'm clipping up things where you see me doing things and it's kind of like a montage. And then I even put like some clouds that I go through, you know, as the zoom down. So that took me a few hours just to do that 10 second piece um, that I think people don't realize the time it takes, you know, because I'm doing, I'm like, okay, how can I make a special effect where it looks like the cloud is coming up through where I'm going down, like I'm some kind of, you know, skydiver, right? As mm -hmm. I'm zooming into the earth. 
uh, and flashing up there kind of some cool uh, footage that I've experienced in the, in the Bahamas. So because of that, it takes me several weeks to finish uh, a video. And now in the new year, you know, 2021, I've kind of told myself, I'm going to just put out whatever. I mean, I'm going to do one, one video a week at least. And if that means I'm, you know, on Friday, maybe on Saturday is kind of my day I'm shooting for to put out the video. So that means if on Friday, I'm not really close. I'm going to, I'm going to just go for 24 hours of, you know, working on it and making sure it gets released on that Saturday or whatever. Um, because I think you have to do that to grow a channel. You have to have consistent uh, uploads and even more, you know, probably even more than once a week, to be honest with you, to really, to really grow. Uh, but back to the original you know, question about what inspired me. Um, it is kind of that creativity of the filmmaking, even probably more so than the sailing. Like I said, I didn't really set out to do sailing videos. I just set out to have that creativity. I was even at one point, I have a video that probably has like 10 views where I just, I got a new GoPro. This was like five years ago. And I got a GoPro. I was like, oh, here's some comparisons of how this GoPro works versus the other GoPro. And I'm just riding my bicycle around Annapolis I'm like, oh, here's the image stabilization versus this one. That's what I kind of was really into, you know, like comparing the equipment and, and, and trying to get good with the editing and the lighting and the camera angles and things like that. Um, more so probably than the sailing. Maybe people would be surprised to hear that. Um, but then it just took off into the sort of sailing direction. Um, and which, I, like I said, I don't uh, I think maybe my my content in the future is going to be a mix of. I've kind of wanted to brand my channel as more of like an adventure channel. doesn't matter mm -hmm. if it's sailing or traveling, but it's sort of the stuff that's not the norm of like, you know, I'm not going to maybe say I'm just going to go traveling to a, you know, a resort where I'm just relaxing and having a, a you know, a whatever, pina colada or something on the beach. It's like, I want to show the adventure part of it, right? Like maybe I'm in a, a, a rainforest or maybe I'm going through like the biggest uh, I, you know, on the motorcycles we went through Sinaloa Mexico which is like the biggest drug cartel state you know so stuff like that um, and actually I just got these t-shirts made uh, seek adventure so that's kind of yeah, the idea um, and, and my idea is not really to make money off of the shirts I mean I just wanted to kind of offer people that might have the same uh, mindset that I have uh, but it's got you know it's got the sailboat and I've got my motorcycle and it's got like, some do it yourself yeah, and that was kind of a theme of it, you know, and I just got like the Josh Post blogs. No, but, great. you know, like kind of this is sort of the representation of the the channel. You got the sailing emphasis. I'm going to start doing more on the motorcycle stuff, ocean stuff, which is my my love is always going to be ocean, you know, uh, and then kind of the fix it things, which is I, I, I'm very, I'm very much doing all the time handyman work. Um, and every time I do it, I'm always kind of improvising by bringing in random things that you might not think to use as far as part of the, uh, the project. And I'm not, I'm not even talking on the boat. I'm talking about like, I just built like a fence for my neighbor, for example, and I was using certain things. And it's like the way I made it fit and stuff. He's like, Oh, you should document that. Cause it's like so unique, you know, you're able to actually improvise to make that. And now it's like a perfect, you know, whatever. And he got me thinking, you know, I should, cause a lot of people do like to watch uh, things like that, especially when it comes to building uh, things. Yeah. Well, where can you get these uh, t-shirts? So do you have like a website for your travels? Uh, well, actually just on the, you know, YouTube now has this uh, integrated like merchandise thing. So if you use any of the videos, you'll see under the video, it has like these t-shirts and you can just click on it. Oh, cool. Um, so it's, it's, they've made it very easy. I'm sure that it's taken a little bit of the profit away from the creator, um, but it makes it so much easier for us to sell the shirts or whatever. Uh, us meaning like other creators that are making mm -hmm. videos. Um, 
yeah, so you can literally on any of the videos you'll see of mine, I think right underneath like my name, it'll say like buy t-shirts by Josh Post or something like that. Oh, uh, and that's all that's all integrated by by YouTube. Yeah. So like, just say, for example, the, the video making process that you go through, it, is that yeah. something that you've been interested in for a very long time? Or did you go travel in video it and like, oh, hell, I may as well put this on YouTube. Or, or have you always wanted to do documentary style footage? Uh, funny enough, um, even back in college, I had a, uh, my major was communications and I would always hang out with people. Uh, I went to a school in Missouri, uh, in Springfield, Missouri at a college there. It used to be called Southwest Missouri State, but now it's called Missouri State University. Anyway, um, uh, some of my friends were in the film what do you call it? You know, film uh, portion of the university filmmaking. So I would hang out with them a lot. And that was a real passion of mine, even back then, helping them with small video shoots, student films, if you will, um, setting up lighting, setting up uh, the camera angles with the tripod. So anyway, yeah, back when I was even 19 or 20, uh, that was a real passion of mine and interest. Um, sort of the arts of it, because I'm, <laughs> What my, you know, my background is really, I'm, I love arts, you know, I actually do paint a lot of painting, uh, abstract painting, I used to study a lot of abstract uh, modern art. Um, and I like the creative aspect of things. And I think that goes also to the building of like the fence for my neighbor, for example. Uh, it's kind of an art piece for me. It's like, I want to pick out the perfect pieces of wood and I want to make it this way and that way. Um, and I want to make sure it's perfectly in line. And I think that goes with like even my painting, even though it maybe looks like crazy, you know, like Jackson Pollock kind of paint or whatever. To me, it's like I see, okay, I see like an empty space um, in this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a design there, and then I want to make the whole uh, piece look a certain way. So anyway, my background sort of as the creative arts, and then the film aspect, and 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 uh, one of my favorite jobs ever as a as a young person, like 20 years old. And here I was in this tiny town, well, not tiny, but in Springfield, Missouri. I'm from a tiny, I'm from a tiny town called Fairgrove, Missouri, which is less than a thousand people. But nearby, about a, ha a half hour drive, is called Springfield, Missouri, which is probably two hundred thousand. So it's like a larger city. Um, they come into town with this film production crew, and it was like a Hollywood film, you know, coming to town to do their production. So I somehow contacted people involved. And I was like, I want to be like a, you know, they call it a production assistant. Um, which is someone who essentially is just on the set helping like, oh, grab this, you know, grab that light, you know, thing or grab this. Is this what they call um, a showrunner in, in some context? Um, I'm not even sure. I've heard that term showrunner. I don't know if that is okay. more of a, I don't know if that's more of a higher position. This is like the PA, they call it production assistant is pretty low on the totem pole of, um, of uh, the film set. And you're kind of the, the gopher, you know, mm -hmm. grab this, grab this person's coffee. I even was, I took, um, I drove, who, what's her name? Uh, she was married to Rod Stewart, who's, you know, from the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Rod Stewart, the musician? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, who was he? he was, I don't know if you know anything about his background. He was married to a woman that was in the film. Anyway, uh, I was like, take, I was driving her kids around at the, the airport and stuff like that. So every, anything you can think of, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, but I'm uh, learning and actually uh, I was like the also the camera assistant and we had this guy who was the cameraman who uh, I don't know I, I'm, I'm not I'm not even sure if he's around anymore but this guy was sort of infamous for being like completely like drunk on the set and stuff <laughs> and, and uh, 
So he's like, you know, hey, grab this, grab that. And I'm like helping him like like thousand dollars <laughs> lenses and stuff. And I'm like, don't drop it, you know. So we're having these huge cameras and I'm helping him uh, put together uh, the shot. And then I'm learning how to do everything from like, you know, they measure like the focal length, right? They take a tape measure and they'll like the actor's face and they'll do a tape measure uh, and then they'll set the focus and stuff like that. So this stuff just completely intrigued me. Um, and from that point on, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of did some of my own stuff, but it wasn't 10 or 15 years later that I actually bought, I think it was like a, just my first GoPro camera. Like a lot of people that, you know, get into photography or action travel will buy a GoPro, which I did. And from that point on, I was just hooked into it. And I, uh, one of my first, not just that video that I told you earlier, but my, I think it was literally my first video that I put up on YouTube was that like the day I got the, uh, the GoPro camera. And I took my fiance and her daughter, we were, we were at a swimming pool in like the, the community. And I was like, oh, I wanna experiment with some of this cool, these cool features. This was 10 years ago. These cool features that I've heard of, like going in reverse motion and slow motion and things. So I had them like diving into the pool, you know? And then I would do like reverse. And so it's like, you know, kind of stuff nowadays we look at like, oh, that's kind of, people put that on Instagram as far as like the boomerang effect or whatever. Mm -hmm but I'm doing it on the GoPro and it's like, you know, slow motion and then it goes back and it was really cool. Cause then the water is like, you know, has a splash, but then it goes with no splash. Um, so I put that up and it actually, I think it has several thousand views um, from when I, cause it was just a cool, those cool features. So I love those little tweaks with editing, right. And making it really look cool. So that's one of my passions for sure. Oh, that's really cool. Um Okay, so like with, with regards to the traveling, have you got like a specific list of goals that you want to achieve, like over the next year or five years, places you want to go, things you want to do, that type of thing? Uh, no. Um, and, you know, I to be honest, it's probably not even involving sailing. It's more just the traveling in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's uh, the motorcycle thing is probably what's taking, uh, it's kind of the first thing I'm thinking of because my friend and I, we bought these bikes in Mexico. We did the, the trip, which I documented quite a bit. I was, it was a bit of a learning curve of how, how to learn, how to use my camera while motorcycle on the motorcycle, you know, but then I attached it to the helmet and I was able to do some stuff. So I'm going to put together some of those videos, but our goal is actually, we have the, the bikes right now in my friend's uncle's garage in Mazatlan. And our goal is to like every two to three months, go back there uh, and then do like a two week motorcycle trip somewhere in Mexico. So we're going to take a ferry over to uh, Baja where La, La Paz is like I mentioned earlier. And uh, it's very, it's a very hot spot for like motorcycling is in uh, Baja because it's like just full on open desert, you know, a lot of times you don't even have like roads, it's like trails and stuff. And so we want to do some of the Baja uh, motorcycling you know where you're camping and things like that and you're going like there's all these beach uh surfing beach areas i don't surf but i mean just the cool you know the really cool beaches and stuff like that that you can camp on and things like that so uh, that's my plan for like the next year is to probably utilize those motorcycles that i have or that we have um and take some of the trips through mexico uh another kind of random thing uh, i have a friend that actually moved or he's bought up a, a house in italy Okay. And again, I'm like, I'm kind of thinking to myself, if I document these things on my channel, if will people even want to watch you, right? Because it has nothing to do with sailing. But anyway, he's even talking to me coming over for a couple of weeks and helping him do some handyman work around his uh, new house he bought in uh, Italy, which I think would be 
really cool to highlight because it's another one of these people have dreams of doing stuff, just like the sailing. A lot of people mm -hmm. might say, oh, I want to I want to retire in a place in Tuscany or whatever, you know, which is exactly what he's doing. Um, but it's a old, really old time home on the countryside that he may want help doing some projects to update it and things. Um, anyway, so I may do that and even you know document a lot of that on the video. So there's a variety of things I'm looking at. Um, but then again, I'm like, hey, am I going to am I going to turn off people if it's not related to sailing? But in my opinion, I, I never really set up to be like, you know, I want to just grow a bunch of followers. I just wanted to put out stuff I love to do, you know? Yeah. Cause you like making, you like making videos, you like making film. Right. Yeah. right. I think a lot of people enjoy that type of stuff. There was one I, I was browsing through because I, I work from home. So I'm sat at my computer and whilst I'm working, I've got something cool on in the background. It's usually like sailing, travel, DIY, something like that. And, um, something that a lot of British people aspire to do when they reach their like fifties or sixties, they're going into retirement is to like move to France or Spain, right. wherever, uh, get like an old barn or an old cottage right. for right. no cost whatsoever and then do it up. And then, you know, they've got like this mansion in the wilderness or whatever. And there's a couple who are in the thirties who they've, they've done this and they've documented it on YouTube. And I, I don't okay. think it's ever been done before, but that thing is right. getting like a crazy amount of views. So it's right. just like a couple they've gone over, they've spent, next to no money on like a barn and they're planning on turning it into a home and it's basically okay. a diy channel um right but yeah i think people would definitely definitely watch it yeah i think so yeah, yeah. so those are kind of my upcoming plans anyway yeah for, uh, for the next next few months and obviously trying to get out of this pandemic right and so we can actually do more <laughs> traveling that's not as restrictive and everything yeah to just so you can actually uh, start going places <laughs> which, right. which everyone's feeling as well so oh, yeah. how do you i know because you said you you were uh you were a lawyer um you were in the navy and now you you do a lot of traveling you've got plans coming up maybe italy that type of thing and also with the sailing how do you fund this did you save yeah. a lot of money do you uh, do you invest like because because people uh, are really interested in this yeah that's that's a good question and uh, I don't, yeah, I did save a lot of money, um, you know, as an attorney for like 10 years, but I wasn't, I wasn't one of these corporate attorneys making gobs of money. I was doing more like government attorney work, working, um, for the state of California for a bit than the Navy. So, I mean, I'm working, you know, a very modest salary, but I was able to save quite a bit of money. Um, I don't like to go through, I don't like to kind of take down the savings, you know, but lately I have been a little bit um, because I've been in between work. So I was working, even when I got back to California, I was working at the uh, local law uh, prosecution office and in, in, um, they call it the district attorney's office. Mm -hmm. uh, saved a little bit of money that I was doing that for like a year. Um, but then again, realized like, okay, I don't, this is even, this is like not my passion, you know, why am I wasting time doing it? So now, um, I have a couple of law clients that I'm making a little bit of money on and that's not, you know, it doesn't take a lot of time up. Like I might have to do uh, a court appearance every couple of weeks kind of thing. And I might do some legal research uh, a couple of hours uh, a week uh, on that. So I'm not doing that full time. So that's giving me a little bit of income, not, not enough. Um, I'm really trying to grow the YouTube thing to be able to make some more money. I've just started recently to, to monetize the videos, which I've learned is completely uh, low level. I mean, unless you're doing like a million views, I think, or whatever or more, um, I'm, I'm maybe if you're getting like a hundred thousand views per episode, maybe it's uh, worth it, but I'm literally making like not even 30 or $40 per episode, um, through the YouTube AdSense thing. 
um, you know, that that's with getting maybe like five or 6,000 views or whatever per episode. Um, uh, so you can imagine to multiply, you would have to get quite a bit of, you know, you, uh, of traffic to be able to make money off of that. The other way is obviously the Patreon, um, mm -hmm. which mine is uh, still in its uh, low level infancy, if you will. Um, I think I'm making less than $100 per episode. So it's funny because I tell people like, oh, what are you doing, you know, for your career or whatever? Oh, I'm, you know, making these videos and I'm spending probably 30 hours, you know, editing or maybe 20 hours uh, editing uh, a 15 minute video. And so then I'm, you know, breaking it down and I'm probably making, you know, like $2 an hour, you know, or something <laughs> because I'm uh, probably making close to $150 or less uh, per episode if I'm, if I'm just doing it, if I'm just telling you the per episode money, whatever. And, um, you know, 20 hours of work on it. So whatever the math is on that, you know, five, six, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, six, six dollars an hour or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not, not good. So I've definitely got to try to grow. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think I, I can grow it if I really focus on the, the weekly uploads and then um, getting people, people more engaged, because I noticed that whenever I do um, weekly uploads, people will, uh, I get more subscribers, more interest, more people, uh, you know, watching and commenting and whatnot. And obviously if I set off for like a month or something without the uploads, it really dive, takes a dive. Mm. So I think if I can just keep it steadily going up without yeah. that time off, uh, it would, it would help a lot of uh, maybe some potential income. But I think the, it, it, you brought up an interesting point because a lot of people think, Oh, if I can get whatever subscribers, I can start just doing full-time YouTube and make all this money out of that. I, you know, I've got now like 55,000 subscribers. Um, and my theory, I have a weird theory, which nobody's ever told me this, but is that you probably get about 10% of your subscribers are going to watch, um, okay. not just at the numbers, right? So like, let's say you have 50,000 subscribers. I think your average video would get about 5,000 views, uh, you know, the first, for the first like week, and then it might grow from there, uh, just trickle in after it's over time. Because I've, you know, I, I follow people online that have like 10 million, you know, subscribers and their, their uh, viewership is steadily at, at, at a million, right? So it's always at 10%. And even with like 500,000 subscribers, people are getting, you know, whatever, 50,000 views. So the point is, um, for those people thinking, oh, I can make money off of even 50,000 subscribers, I can show you that I, I certainly I'm not. Um, and so there, you know, and I think people are sometimes better about the Patreon and that's a way for people to get more income. So there's a variety of things. Um, I think the Patreon could potentially take off a little bit better um, mm. if I'm more focused on that. I know of certain channels that push it more, right? Um, there's a sailing channel uh, that I actually like a lot. Uh, sailing Zingaro, I think the guy's name is. He's actually another Navy. Oh yeah, he's uh, in. Uh, he's somewhere in the Carib. He just got a. Is it a Swan or an Oyster? I think it's an Oyster. Yes, yeah, he just got that's an Oyster. Right. That's it. Yeah, beautiful boat right. actually. And he, um, like I said, he's another Navy guy. Um, and he had that catamaran that was just completely falling apart. And I guess yeah, he, that's I, right. think, uh, I think With it the was like destroyed the or yeah, uh, in, in Hawaii or whatever. Anyway, the point of comparison of, the, of this is that he has, uh, well, he probably has quite a few more now, but last I saw it was like 70,000 subscribers or something, but his Patreon level was like at a big, a big level, which he was able to sort of live off of for the Patreon, because I think he pushes it a lot more um which is smart 
Uh, so if I start doing that a bit more, I think I can, I, I can do it. So, cause like I said, he's not, he wasn't having that much more uh, subscribers uh, as me. I think he's gone up quite a bit cause he's, he's really focused on some things, but um, I like his style also, because especially on the catamaran, he was more like, it's not, doesn't have to be perfect. It's like, I can make this adventure happen without having to sit here and analyze like a yeah. lot of people do. And that's where I think we started this whole conversation with. Um, which a lot of people will sit at home. Oh, I have to do X, Y, and Z for the next three years before I can do anything. And then, okay, if you do that, you're never going to actually get off the dock, you know? So he's a, he's a great example of even less than, even less prepared than me, I think in, in many ways with the boat, as far as the, the shape of his boat, uh, when he had the catamaran, uh, but look at the adventures he had for like five years, you know what I mean? So, uh, mm. and, and he's still alive to tell you about it. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it's a travel vlog, isn't it? You know, it's not, you're not necessarily making like mini documentaries. You're just documenting your travels online right. by video and you put them on and you share them with people. It, I suppose it doesn't, doesn't need to be perfect, but um, right. yeah, I mean, given your background and your love for actually making film, I, right. I, I, I can see how you're looking at it in, you know, in the application or the software and like, Oh no, if we just do this, if we just do that, then yeah, right. it'll turn right. out perfect. Right. Uh, and I mean, you, you, the editing process for me, like I said, hours and hours, because a lot of this stuff, I'll, I'll put it all on my uh, editing software and I might run it through without cutting any of the footage. And like, it's like 30 minutes long and I'm watching it like, it's like really boring. Nobody, you know, and I'm not just saying that, but I'm, I think really nobody would want to watch it. Sometimes I have my fiance watch it's, it's too long, too much, you know, whatever, too boring. So a lot of it is cutting it down to make it something that's entertaining the entire time, the entire 10 or 15 minutes, uh, you know, of entertainment value. Um, so that's part of it as well. Whereas I think some people, they will put up the, the boring stuff, if you will. Uh, but so maybe there's something to be said for that, right? Maybe you just put it out. And then uh, as long as you're putting up uploads and it's authentic, people are going to mm. watch. I don't know. Yeah, I think authenticity is, is the biggest part of it, especially with it being yeah. a travel travel vlog, you know, which like, like you, you're talking about your recent experience with, uh, you know, motorbiking through Mexico. Everybody knows right. that isn't going to be all cocktails and dolphins. You're, you're right. doing a motorbike trip through like desert conditions. So, the, right. you know, there's, there's going to be a bit of stress. There's going to be some situations where maybe you won't want to put it on YouTube, but it's a travel vlog. That's that's the concept of it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. in the trials and tribulations. Um uh, it's funny because I think sailing in general, I don't know if this is, and I don't, I don't get driven by like commenters and stuff. Like I don't really care um, what people say. And so yeah, it's funny because if you, um, you'll get some negative people out there that like even that video we talked about earlier with me crossing the Gulf Stream, I'm like emotional and it's like very mm -hmm. stressful and stuff. I've had several people comment like, oh, this poor, you know, cry baby, this guy needs to whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, eh. to me, I'm like, whatever, you know. But the point is, um, it's, I don't know if it's the sailing community in general, because I, I honestly think it is a little bit more in the sailing than, than most, but there's a lot of people that are kind of like, uh, you know, they, they're kind of like know-it-alls, if you will, with, for lack of a better term. So it's like, oh, you should have done it this way. You're an idiot, you know? Um, but I think the point sometimes is to show the, 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 almost like the wrong, like the wrong way, but like yeah, it's the, real. The, the, the challenging way, because I'm just a person trying to do it. I'm not like, somebody who's done it for 30 years, who knows that you have to put this, you know, shackle on this rope or this line to make it happen for this and that. Like, for example, in my upcoming anchoring video, um, which I'm hoping will be out by the time, obviously, your, your video goes out. Um, it's like 
20 minutes of just the cameras on my head and I'm pulling up the anchor, but it's like really it's crazy because I'm by myself. So I'm having to continually go back and forth to the helm, drive forward like 30 feet, come back, oh, try okay. pull the thing. And then I'm doing all these mess up things. And I can already imagine like all these people are gonna be like, oh, well, if you would have just done this with the, you know, anchor chain, you this would have been so much easier. Okay, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know that at the time. And I made it, you know, I still made it happen. And yes, it took me 25 minutes, whereas it probably could have taken me 10 minutes. But the point is, it's like, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm putting it out there sort of for you to see. And I think a lot of people also can learn from the comments because if I kind of do it wrong or do it, you know, half, you know, not exactly perfect. Um, and then you get some people commenting like, oh, I suggest you do it this way. You know, people mm -hmm. that watch that, that are interested in the sailing, like, oh, that's a good idea also. So it gets, it gets people engaged as well. Yeah. Um, you know, when you don't do it perfectly, but you are authentic, you know. It's good to watch. I mean, you know, what one of the one of the most common reasons why people uh, people go on YouTube is to learn about something or to learn how to do something. You know, it's it's always a case of you go on there. Okay, how do you lay a brick? How do you right. you know fill a hole in a wall? What whatever this type of stuff. And people want to see the real experience. And right. you know, I, th I think the idea behind what you do and and the travel vlogging and the documentary making is you you show the real experience. If you, if you did sailing videos where everything was absolutely perfect, right? If people would watch that, they'd be like, "I need to learn a lot before I actually do this. This is pretty intimidating." Um, right. But uh, you know what? One of the one of the uh, funny stories. So the the boat that I have now is a thirty uh, five foot Moody. Okay. I have it in Spain, and uh, I've I've been on boats all my life. I've always had boats. I've, I've sailed, um, but I had not sailed a uh, like a thirty five foot cruiser for a long time um i lived in the middle east for 10 years i was in dubai oh, wow. and the prices of um marina berths over there um make california sound cheap right oh, <laughs> it's, wow. it's insane you're talking like a hundred thousand dollars for a like 35 foot spot in the, in a couple of marinas it's crazy and um when i actually got out on the boat i was completely comfortable with uh, maneuvering through the marina because I'd, I'd always have boats when i actually got out there i was like i've actually forgotten what to do so I was like, no, okay, today we're just going to anchor in the bay and I'll get my wife yeah. used to chilling out. And then I was like, right, next time we go out, I, 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 need to I need to figure out what's going on. So I took the iPad. I just did like learn how to sail. This was, this was quite a while ago now. Learn how to sail. Your video popped up. So okay. when I took the boat out for the second time, I had the iPad at the helm with you. So this is how you do this. So I was like, okay. And then I was going through the oh, wow. was like, Yeah, so it actually like retaught me how to sail and like maneuver a boat, um, which oh, is cool. uh, yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's what YouTube's about. It's about people yeah. learning how to do something. It's not watching, you know, perfectionists, you know, a sailor with 40 years experience. It's not about that. It's about learning something new. And that's why oh, yeah. when you show the real experience, it, it intrigues people and makes them want to learn more. Right. Right. Is your boat in uh, like Malaga area or? Yes. Yeah. In Malaga yeah. area. That's all right. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to come to visit you and check it out. Yes, yeah, that's uh, definitely something for the future. So, well, yeah. I mean, what what are the plans for the future? What's what's next? So we've we've got a couple more sailing videos coming up, and then is there going to be some videos of your new boat? Uh, yes, I do have um, actually several videos already I've already filmed uh, or videoed uh, of the the restoration and things and showing how to take off the varnish um, with the heat gun and then reapplying varnish and, and even uh, even some mechanic work where I had uh, uh, a guy I know who does boat mechanic we go through the entire engine because when I bought the boat I was like well I want to double check everything as far as uh, the, the boat uh, engine maintenance 
so we do the full on, you know, oil change, fuel filter changes and uh, all the engine maintenance stuff. So there's a video on just on that. Um, I have a cool video uh, and I'm embarrassed to say that some of this stuff may be a couple months away or maybe, maybe more um, because it's like, I'm so far behind on a lot of this uh, video footage that I have. But anyway, uh, I have that same guy that's my friend that does the mechanic work. Um, he's like, oh, one, one day he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, uh, replace one of my through holes that's like stuck in my boat, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'm not gonna take it out of the water so I just need, I, I want to experiment to see if I can do it while it's in the water. So he's like, why don't you bring your camera over there and uh, we can do it. And so he had a scuba diver guy that was helping from below. And I actually gave the guy a GoPro for a couple of seconds. I'm like, show us what's under there real quick uh, while we're up here. And I've got the camera going and he's trying to take off this through hole. And, um, you know, like you would expect, um, as soon as he takes the thing off, you know, this fountain of water starts going up because it's that's what we were expecting. It wasn't like a, so it's just like water in your, you know, in the middle of the boat, right? And you're free, you know. but we planned, you know, that's what we knew was going to happen. But the idea is how quickly can you plug the hole so mm-hmm. that way you can work on it. So um, he, he, you know, he's working on it and takes it off. A geyser comes up, starts going. He has his diver there. It's below, puts the plug on from underneath. Uh, and then he's able to work the, the thing, but it was that, even that project wasn't very smooth because it was like, oh, this wasn't going to work right. This, this didn't work right. So we had to improvise uh, to make this work because how we initially talked it through didn't happen. You know, I think the, mm. I think the through hole itself was like so uh, rusted or whatever that you couldn't actually get the threads off of the piece, you know? So I think he had to get uh, like a Dremel you know, while, while he's like got a plug with water sort of seeping out, he's oh, got this Dremel, <laughs> try to make the, uh, to try to cut it off and all this stuff. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And I've got even some of that on my new boat where I'm trying to replace some stuff in the head. Um, and I ended up in some kind of crazy predicaments. You know, it's never fun to work in the, in the head where you're having to work with all the plumbing where the crap is going through, you know, cause, mm. and I had, I had, I had some of that experience where you're taking off the the hose uh, and next thing you know it's like an explosion of crap and i at one point i'm like you know doing this no no got <laughs> you know crap on my face you know so it wasn't wasn't pleasant okay so we've got some uh diy videos some crap videos and <laughs> yeah <laughs> some motorbike videos is all probably coming up that's right that's right yeah it's brilliant uh, and that's why that's why i just need to get it out you know because i've got so much uh in the in the can as they say yeah. Uh, you know, which I think references like it's already filmed. So, yeah. No, it's great. Well, I look forward to seeing them. It's been brilliant talking to you. Uh, thanks oh, for your time. I'm sure everybody's going to really look forward to hearing from you, learning about your story and a bit more about you. So, all the best. And we look forward to seeing all your stories. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. If you want to support the production of these podcasts, you can become a member of our community on Patreon, where you will be able to access extra content, interact with our guests, and become a part of the show.